Jeremy from Maspero Legal. He tells us about bail and parole, plus all the madness going on in Western Australia at the moment. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Islanders, as promised, I have an interview with Jeremy from Maspero Legal tonight, and he will tell us a bit about bail and parole and how they're important to the justice system. Also, more about some craziness going on in Western Australia, but first up, I interviewed Jeremy Maspero from Maspero Legal in regards to bail and parole. As we often see, those accused of a crime will either be held in remand or let out on bail, and those convicted may be let back into the community on parole before the full term of their sentence is finished. So, let's get stuck into it. Hi Islanders, tonight I'm going to talk with Sydney lawyer Jeremy Maspero, and the topic will be bail and parole. As you well know, often those charged with crimes will get bail before the trial and if convicted, may also get parole for good behaviour, which means they're let out early. Sometimes offenders get lenient sentences, get out and commit the same crimes or worse, escalate them. So hopefully tonight Jeremy can shed some light on what bail and parole are, why they exist and how important it is in the justice system. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to the island. Hi, Cambo. Thanks for having me on the island. I'm really excited to be here. No probs. So first off, introduce yourself a bit and tell the islanders who you are. Not a problem. So hi, everybody. My name is Jeremy Maspero. I am a Sydney-based lawyer. I practice in the criminal law and also the family law jurisdictions. I work in a small family business and uh, I love what I do. So first up, maybe tell us a bit about what bail is, what parole is, and why it is important to have them in the justice system. Sure, not a problem. And these are really interesting, juicy, difficult to understand topics I'm, and lots of lawyers struggle to understand them. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've brought them up. I guess on one hand, uh, may as well start with bail. So When you're charged with an offence, a criminal offence, there are certain types of offences that are deemed to be so serious in society that that they justify locking somebody up, or the official term is depriving them of their liberty. So that's what bail is, and then there's a whole process of getting out. So once you're locked up, you have a right to then be heard and see if it really is that serious or if you actually can be released into the community before you're trialled for an offence. 
On the other hand, parole is for an offender that's already been convicted of, of a crime and they're already in prison. And that's a process of them being released to serve the balance of their sentence in the community. So they're still considered to be in jail, but they actually are in the community uh, meeting certain conditions and doing things like that. Yeah, and I guess that the purpose of it, well, bail on one hand, I mean, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, right? So mm. you can be charged with a certain offence and, and, of course, courts can be, it can be weeks away, but, but in some cases it can be years away. And a, a good example of that is Simon Gatani, the, the balcony step killer. His trial wasn't for years. So whilst you've been charged with an offence, you, you, know, you haven't been convicted of it yet or proven guilty. So bail sort of exists to give people that opportunity you know, to, to, to be in the community while that happens. And I guess the purpose of parole, on the other hand, is to allow certain types of offenders and people to be, to be free again, who I guess have effectively redeemed themselves in the um, criminal justice system. It's a really, really, really difficult issue that, that lawyers, judges, philosophers struggle with is, is this topic you've just said, remorse. That is a whole school of thought in itself. We are always trying to work out how is one remorseful, you know, if there's no body, if, if they claim to not know where a body is. It's a real challenge if you, yeah, in terms of parole. And, and, you know, the promises people make at the start of sentences, you know, in the hope of being released 20, 30 years down the track. There's so many sub-issues that go on within, within parole. You, you know, on one hand, you've got the offender. But on the other hand, as you said, you've got the family, you've got the victim, you know, you've got lots mm. and lots of people that are affected for the rest of their life. And the courts are stuck with this problem of trying to balance those two interests. And, you know, I, this society, whilst some very few people are locked up for, forever, never to be released, the, the majority of, of, of offenders do have the right to, to be released. I mean, they don't all get released, but they have the right to, to in our criminal justice system, to, to, to do time and then come out and, and be better people who should exist in our community. Well, some are better people. Some are repeat <laughs> offenders. Yes, absolutely. So, so they may get a, a certain sentence, which may mm-hmm. not even be a very harsh sentence. They get parole, which cuts it down even further. Yes. And then they go yes. out and, and commit the same crime or escalate. Yes. Yes, definitely. And and then, yeah, I mean, there's been lots of cases. Of, I mean, to give you an idea, p- parole usually, if, it, if it's not an offence that's so serious and meets certain criteria to never be released, parole usually you get about a third of your sentence off if you meet the requirements at the time of, of a successful parole hearing. Because don't forget, when, when you serve your sentence and you're at the period of, of, of parole, what you have to do is you have to sit in front of a parole board and they, 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 they listen to things and, 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 and look at remarks from judges, et cetera, et cetera. And if they let you out, that, that's a third of your sentence. So if you think murder's 25 years, you can potentially spend a third of that out of prison. And, yeah, that's a, that's a long time. And, 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 and as we've seen in lots of cases, it's not long before some of these people go back to their old tricks. Now, the parole board. Who makes mm-hmm. up the parole board? So that is a state based. So, so every state has their own parole board. So in, in New South Wales, it, it's sort of attached to, I think the, the parole is, it's a state parole authority is the correct term. I mean, Queensland, we have the parole board. Uh, they're, they're very closely linked to the, to the Justice Department. I mean, I, I think they exist as sub bodies within, within the Justice Department. And yeah, they're all internal people. And what they do is, is they, they review because parole laws change over time. I'm, I'm not an expert in, in those, but conditions 
change over time. They're constantly being reviewed. You know, why should we let someone out? Why shouldn't we? So there's a whole group of people that come from within justice, the New South Wales government, I guess you'd call it, that, that review these decisions. So it's a, it's a panel of people. It's not one single person that makes the ultimate decision. Okay. Well, I asked some of the listeners to ask you some questions and we've oh, got okay. quite a few. So Yeah, um, there's some good ones. Yeah, now, juicy ones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. From Danielle Smith, thank you very much. We, we've got a couple from Danielle. Yes. When someone is on bail and do something wrong or repeatedly don't meet curfew or -hmm. don't report into police as directed, why are they not put in jail? They have not met the bail conditions. Sure. Well, thank you for your question, Danielle. Yeah, look, I I mean, I have to say in my experience as a criminal defence lawyer, when people are on bail and do something wrong, as you've said, so breach their bail, and they actually do go to jail. We get clients all the time who, who breach their bail and end up in jail and then have to go through a process to get out. So I guess, look, you can't have police everywhere, as they always say. So sometimes people do slip through that system. They do breach their bail and, and they seem to stay out. But but generally speaking, if you breach your bail, you're arrested. So the police will turn up to your workplace. We had a client last week. They were knocking on his door at two o'clock in the morning, breached his bail. They take you straight into the, the slammer. You kept there overnight until you're able to be, or, or, or longer, until you're able to go in front of a, a magistrate. And, and it's not an easy walk in the park. I mean, pe- people think it is, but but, but generally speaking, from, from my experience, is is they, yeah, they actually get locked up and, and getting locked up is jail. So she's got another question here. How okay. does the parole system work? What are the mm-hmm. rules to be eligible? What mm-hmm. happens in a parole hearing? When yes. is parole revoked? And she says, seems to be not very often, yeah. based on what we hear in the media, which is important as well. Wow, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> Let's start with how does the parole system work? So I think I mentioned earlier, the parole system is, is uh, it's at the heart of our, our criminal justice system and our laws. There's legislation which says for these offences, you can be let out, out on parole if you meet certain criteria. So just to give you a quick example, uh, let's have a look at some non-parole periods. So, so murder, for example, and not every murder case is the same. But yeah, there's, there's a thing called a standard non-parole period, which is set in, in legislation, so the law. And it says that after people serve a certain amount of years, they're automatically eligible for parole, meaning they're eligible to apply for parole. So, for example, murder. murder where the victim was a police officer is the highest one. You're looking at 25 years as a standard non-parole period. So as soon as that offender gets to the 25 years, they're able to apply for parole. If you move down to attempted murder, you're looking at 10 years as a standard non-period and so on and so forth. So that's, I guess, where it starts. Now, your next question was, what are the rules to be eligible? So there's a whole lot of rules. And don't forget, with some offences such as as Ivan Milat, uh, Robert Z recently, who murdered five or six people, they're deemed not eligible for parole, so effectively never to be released. So some people actually not allowed to get parole at all, but, but, but everybody else, so to speak, then come under these rules. So what the parole board does 
is they look at things such as, has this person redeemed themselves? So when they're in prison, were they of good behavior? You know, are they going around bashing up people or did they participate in, in certain things? Have they done courses? Has, there's a whole group of people in prisons that, that help the parole board make these decisions. So psychiatrists, counselors, psychologists, medical people that, 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 that sit down and, and review a person's behavior over, over, over a period. And what they do is they, they sit in front of this, this group of people and, and, and basically apply. And then if the parole is successful, they're then let out into the community. But don't forget, they are still considered to be serving their prison term, but it's in the community. So let's say, for example, you were paroled for, and you had five years on parole. Well, you've asked what the rules are. There are all sorts of rules depending on the severity of the crime. There's a lot of child sex offenders that wear ankle bracelets, for example. Some clients I've had have had to report twice a day. Can you imagine that? So people think Mm. it's a walk in the park being on parole, but it's actually not. You've got to go to the local police station two times every day. Some people can't leave their house. They can't drink. They can't take drugs. And the parole people can turn up any time. I mean, I had a client last week. He got a knock on the door about four o'clock in the morning from the parole people doing an alcohol test. So there's all sorts of conditions based on, on the offender. And if they, you've asked when is parole revoked, if they breach any of those conditions, it, it's, you know, they don't stuff around. If you are found to have breached your parole, certainly in, in, in New South Wales, where I practice, it's a very serious offence. You go straight to jail. There's no sort of hearing process before. And then you've got to tell them why you breached your parole. So, for example, you had to go to hospital or, or you missed a bus or something like that. But unless you have a good excuse, you can really you can end up being back on the inside serving your offence serving the remainder of your your time. And look, sometimes what happens and, and, and look, sometimes they don't get it right. The parole authorities and the people in charge of supervising that, they, they sometimes drop the ball and stuff it up. And a good example of that was Adrian Bailey, who, who murdered Jill Mega. So unfortunately, the ball can drop sometimes and, and people perhaps, whilst they shouldn't have been bailed, are out free to, as in this case, continue to, to do continue to to offend another part of the bail process is is looking at the evidence so if you have really strong evidence then that's a good reason to keep the person locked up but you know we've had lots of cases with our clients where it's very dodgy the evidence very dicey and Mm. and and so a magistrate looks at that and says you know back to what i was saying earlier you know should this person be locked up because you know that's the ultimate deprivation of someone's liberty being you know that's the worst possible thing that can happen to someone in this free society of ours so if you have weak evidence and and don't forget it can take months or years before you can appear before a court in certain types of cases should that person be refused bail we've got a couple of questions from susan mcnutt but they i think you've already covered it one was how right. one get on parole what's the process and basically what is parole thank you susan but i think We've covered that bit with Danielle's questions. We've got one from Clara Booth. Now, how is the bail amount set? What factors are considered? Sure. Good question, Clara. This depends on a lot of things, but perhaps most importantly is the seriousness of the crime. So let's say, for example, someone's bought in three tonnes of cocaine and the police don't want them to get out on bail, they'll probably set the bail amount at $3 million. It's quite common to see with with crimes of, you know, drug-related crimes where there's a lot of money, you know, to, for there to be a huge bail amount set. 
that's one of the factors. But it also depends on a couple of other things. It depends on the person's financial circumstances. And then there are, of course, the, the bail amount is one part of bail. The other things they look at is, is, is how serious is the crime and should this person be released? So, for example, if somebody's been accused of murdering 20 people, then that's so serious, right, that crime, even though they haven't been convicted. It's so serious that they mm. couldn't possibly let that person out if there's strong evidence. And again, the person's financial situation. Another important part of releasing somebody on bail is have they got a home to go to? Are they going to be able yeah. to live somewhere? And finally, looking at if the police think they'll be able to report. So does this person have a history of not reporting? You know, if it's a crime of dishonesty, then that says something about them. So there's a lot of factors at stake with bail, the amount rather being, being one of the factors. Okay, we've got one from Taya Mori. Mm-hmm. How long will a parolee remain under supervision after his or her release? Mm-hmm. What happens if a parolee violates the conditions of parole or mandatory release? What kind of job can a parolee get? Mm-hmm. So, And I think you've just answered it. What does a parolee do if he or she has no home to go to? Uh, Ty, thank you so much for your question. It's a good one. So a parolee, if they don't have a home to go to, they could be denied the ability to be on parole. That's exactly what happens with bail as well. If the person doesn't have somebody that can look after them or somewhere they can go, that's serious because how are the police going to be able to find them, right? That's one That's one important factor. And how long does a parolee remain under supervision after their release? So if you look at somebody, let's, let's look at murder. That's always a good one to start with. If somebody's, say, got a 25-year sentence or let's say a 30-year sentence with a non-parole period of 25 and they get out on the 25th year, well, then they'll be on parole for five years. And it sort of works like that. So yeah. what happens if they violate conditions of their parole or mandatory release? Well, they can get sent straight back to prison. And depending on how they violated it, they might have to spend the rest of the sentence in prison. Or if they're able to justify why they violated it, then they could be released back on parole again. But that is a complicated process. We've had clients in that situation and it's very difficult. It's not a walk in the park. They have to have a very good reason as to why they violated it so, so they can get back out and, and serve it in the community. And finally, you've asked what type of a job can a parolee get? Well, yeah. it depends on the depends on the offence they've committed. So we have had a couple of clients who have been working with children and, you know, working with children checks, uh, they're very, very strict on if you have certain types of offences, you can't work with children. Money laundering, people often underestimate the seriousness of that. that that's a crime of dishonesty. And you see these days in a lot of job application processes, job application questions, they ask, have you been convicted of a, of a crime of, of dishonesty? That, you know, that, that's not a good thing. So banks, financial institutions, so money laundering, we get clients who've received money by deception, it's called. So they might have tricked somebody into putting money in their bank account or that sort of thing. This is, this is all very serious and it can really affect their ability to actually get a job. How much is an employer allowed to find out about the job seeker? Well, the thing is, you as an employee don't have to tell them anything. But the problem is for certain types of certain types of jobs, so again, jobs involving money, so working in a bank. Yeah, if, if, <laughs> if you 
if you fail... We've got the Banking Royal Commission going well, yes, on at so the it's moment. It's a good so. example, isn't it? Look at all the dodgy <laughs> stuff that's going on there. There's people quitting left, right and centre. But so, so the thing is, if you don't declare your criminal convictions for certain jobs and they find out, that can cause big problems. You can be fired from that job. You probably will be fired from that job. But not all criminal convictions affect your employment. It, it, some organisations have a blanket sort of policy of, of no criminal convictions. I, I think that's really unfair because we do live in a society where people are given opportunities to, to redeem themselves, so to speak, for certain types of crimes. But, yeah, it's always a tough one when you when you have a, a situation where a, a client's been convicted of an offence and it's going to jeopardise their, their career and their future. What do they do? Okay, so now we've got a question from Tara Saraban. Hi, Tara. Down in Melbourne from Bloody Murder Podcast with Barney Black. So Tara asks, how how was Adrian Bailey out when he killed Jill Mayer? Seems with his record, they should have kept him in longer on the last charge. How do violent sexual predators keep getting crappy sentences and early parole for what is clearly a pattern of violent predatory behaviour? Great question, Tara. And I tell you what, he's not serving a crappy sentence now, is he? But yeah, this this is a really, really sad case where the parole authority of Victoria admitted they dropped the ball. They stuffed up. They stuffed up his parole. That's what happens. Unfortunately, this has happened in the past. And 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 I think what happened here was the, the, when the people were looking at his eligibility for parole, and he was on bail as well. That's a different story. They they didn't actually get to see his criminal history. So imagine that, mm. you know. So they they stuffed up majorly, and and I guess that's how he was out when he committed this offence. But I can certainly tell you after this that they've definitely definitely had a lot of what's the word? They've 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 had a lot more soul searching. Um, interest in getting the procedures uh, down pat so this doesn't happen again yeah i mean it seems with his record they should have kept him longer well again that was part of this overall stuff up which they acknowledge and which they've taken steps to hopefully stop happening again and important for australia and i guess it's the same for the u.s I'm not too sure about the UK, but from Danielle Smith again, and this will be our last question. Do the rules and conditions for parole and bail vary from state to state? And if so, why? Yes. So, Danielle, welcome to Australia. Well, it's called federalism. So, I, you know, in Australia, we've got train tracks that are different from state to state. Well, at least they used to be. Fortunately, the criminal law system when you is, is quite... It, State to state tends to have its own rules and regulations. There is a bit of crossover in, a, in what's called a, a code, a Commonwealth Criminal Code. But, but in New South Wales, where we are, there, there are slightly different rules and conditions to the ACT, for example, where they use a more Australia-based system. It's just the way it is. There's been a lot of talk in recent decades to change that. But, you know, how do, how do, you, how do you make something that's state-based federal? It's a real challenge. Okay, Jeremy. Well, thanks for that tonight. I hope the listeners now, all the Islanders, know a little bit more about parole and bail, at least from New South Wales, which is pretty similar from state to state in Australia. And I'm sure reasonably 
similar in from where you live in the US, UK or wherever? Excellent. Well, look, thanks for having me. Give me a shout out on Twitter. I'm always happy to have a chat and hear about your juicy crime stories and even perhaps answer some more of your questions. It's been fun. So thank you, Jeremy from Maspero Legal. I'm sure we'll have Jeremy back on the show. So get your questions or if you've got a topic you want to talk about, get that into Facebook or Twitter and can go and have another interview. Thank you, guys. See you all out there on the island. See ya. Bye-bye. Okay, Islanders, so I hope that's explained things a little bit more in respect to how the legal system works, at least in New South Wales and some places in Australia. And thanks again to Jeremy. Next, we have some shocking news coming out of Western Australia. First up, I mentioned last week or so about how Sydney father John Edward, 68, was found dead after fatally shooting his two teenage children at a Sydney home at Pennant Hills and how he got his guns legally via our very strict gun laws. I also mentioned that if he didn't have a gun, that he probably would have used a knife to do what he did. Well, that's what's exactly happened in Western Australia this week. 19-year-old Tiancum Vernon Peterson Crofts appeared in the Midlands Magistrate Court over the murders of his mum, Michelle Peterson, 48, his sister, Bella, 15, and brother, Rua, 8, at Ellenbrook. In the early hours of Sunday, the 15th of July, it's alleged that Tiancum brutally attacked and murdered his mother, brother and sister, then fled to a nearby fuel station, which was also a 7-Eleven store. Police were called to the 7-Eleven where they arrested Tiancum and then attended the family home down the road. It was here that they found what one senior homicide detective described as potentially the most horrific crime scene he had seen in more than 20 years in the police force. Rua and Michelle were found dead inside the house while Bella was found outside in the backyard still alive. She was rushed to Royal Perth Hospital, but died on the way. Now, this is from Western Australian News. They reported that one guy that lived nearby was woken by screaming and yelling at around 1am. Matthew Shrek told the paper that it was a real loud screaming and yelling. It sounded pretty heavy. They also reported that less than 24 hours before the alleged murders on Sunday morning, Tiancum had been at Midland Public Hospital's emergency department in an agitated state. Tiancum was calm before he left hospital on Saturday night, only hours before the alleged murders. But it came after an incident on Friday where police were called to the family's street over claims the 19-year-old had been yelling while brandishing a piece of wood. In court, and I'll read this from Western Australian News again, he appeared in the dock wearing a grey jumper and was handcuffed to one of the two security guards with him. In what was an unusual scene, Mr Peterson Crofts interrupted Magistrate Greg Smith as he began to tell him that he was facing three counts of murder. 
He said a man whose name was inaudible was a criminal and he did it. He wanted to take me out bush. He did it, Tiancom said. I went home. I came back to my family. At this point, Mr. Smith told uh, Tiancom that he was not required to say anything. But he continued. I need to because Mama is with me, Tiancom said. I was painting a picture of Jesus. He punched me so hard, it's not funny. I left because I had to, because I was so scared he was going to kill me. Mama told me to save myself. Then Tiancom turned to one of the security guards and told him that he looked like a serial killer. You look like a serial killer and you're a security guard, he said. Mr. Smith said there were concerns for Tiancom's mental health and reminded him to the Franklin Centre, a maximum security facility at Greylands Hospital for one week on a hospital order. The charges were not formally read to Tiancom. He will appear in the Stirling Garden Magistrates Court on Monday. Now, this is from ABC. His father, Awatia Crofts, made a statement this week as well saying he'd been admitted to mental health facilities on numerous occasions. Mr Crofts said his son was hospitalised in Christchurch, New Zealand in January 2015 because of his declining mental health. It was very difficult for him and the mental health staff, Mr Crofts said. He just spiralled and spiralled and continued to spiral down. It was a perpetual, continual episode after episode. His mother did everything she could. Mr Croft said his son had been in and out of mental health facilities this year and his condition had worsened recently. His mother did everything she could and just in the last days, her last six months, she was still doing everything she could but his condition had blown right out. From what I've heard from other family members, he was rejected for whatever reasons from mental health services and Michelle, his mum, often had the police around. Okay, now this is sad, shocking and I'm sure the coroner will get to the bottom of exactly what went wrong here. It does sound like there were alarm bells going off with police being called multiple times to the home over the preceding weeks and Tiancom obviously having some mental issues. Well, I will update you as we know more. Tiancom is due in court again tomorrow, Monday, the 23rd of July. Now, on the topic of mental health in Western Australia, the WA News also ran a story on the state of play at the moment in regards to mental health services. One in three patients seeking mental health treatment at WA emergency departments last year waited more than eight hours to be seen. Now, this was from a snapshot that the Consumers of Mental Health WA commissioned the Australasian College for Emergency Medicine to compile. It revealed about 74% of people in WA who attended at hospital for mental health reasons were not admitted. About 8% of those gave up waiting and went home. 
people who end up in emergency for mental health reasons are waiting for unacceptably long periods. Ms. Gabler, the head of Consumer of Mental Health WA, said, We are calling for immediate action to improve how emergency departments respond to people with mental health needs. Now, the government will, of course, have their version on the state of the mental health system, with Mental Health Minister Roger Cook saying West Australians had access to outstanding mental health services. He says mental health will always be a challenge for our community. It's continuing to grow as a challenge. Mr Cook said mental health accounted for only 3.8% of all emergency department presentations. Mental health patients who arrive at EDs are admitted based on clinical need to the first available bed, he said. Well, Mr Cook, only 3.8, or let's say 4%, that's 1 in 25 people attending emergency departments. Now, they're doing it for a mental health issue. That's a lot of people. So let's hope something comes out of this tragedy. Okay, again in Perth, and again, a mental health slash drug issue from the looks of it. A 27-year-old guy was at Cannington Bunnings in Perth. Now, Bunnings is a hardware chain store where you get your, I don't know, nails, hammers, chainsaws, where he approached the counter to pay for his goods. He then tipped them onto the floor and walked out of the store. He then got into his car and drove on the wrong side of the road before crashing into a large metal gate. He then got out of the car, stripped down to his undies before grabbing a golf club and proceeded to smash the windows in on the car. He then threw a baby's car seat out from the back of the car before opening the boot or trunk and got a chainsaw out. After a few attempts, he got the chainsaw started and wielded it around trying to cut up his car. He then sat inside the car and when police came, they confronted him with tasers. They yelled at him to get out of the car and onto the ground. Eventually, he did get out of the car, approached a police and did a forward roll onto the ground, then laid on his back. Now, it does look a bit funny on the, on the video, but this is serious. He could have been blasted away by the cops if he hadn't submitted to their commands. Well, at least they had tasers and not guns, but that would have been the next step if the, he got past the tasers. In an interview on 7 News, his mum said that he'd gone from having a business to hardly being able to keep a roof over his head. She did hint that he was on drugs, probably ice. She said at the end of the day, he's a good person. He's just in a bad place. This stuff on the street is just evil. Well, there you go. Police charged him with disorderly conduct and possession of drugs. So let's help that guy can get the help he needs. Okay, now this is another story from Perth, Western Australia, in Scarborough. Now, what is going on here? I, I really don't know how this happened. Anyway, 
a two-year-old boy went missing after his auntie strapped him into the wrong car and the driver drove off unaware the kid was in the car. A couple of hours later, he was reunited with his mum. So, okay, all ends well, right? Okay, so two-year-old Richard Collard, if you have a look at the photo in the paper, he's just got the biggest smile on his face. He was put into a near-identical car by Maureen Collard's sister. The owner of the car, John Griffiths, this poor old bastard, drove away without realising Richard was inside. Let's stop here now. Why was the kid being put in the car and then the auntie walking off? It, look, it's not the 1970s when kids everywhere were left in the car. Then the old guy who owns the car, why, why the fuck doesn't he lock his car so the kids don't get put in there? Ah, lucky CCTV showed the auntie putting the kid into the wrong car and within a couple of hours, kid and mum were reunited and I'm sure my auntie is very happy with that. So all this craziness going on over in WA, they they say it's Florida man over in the US. Sometimes I'm starting to think West Australia man. I'm sure it used to be Queensland man. It's certainly never been New South Wales man. Anyway, that's about it for tonight. Now before I go, I have to say thanks to all the new Patreon and PayPal supporters that signed up this week. So thanks to Donna Krieg who signed up on the highest level. And don't forget, Donna, after three months on that level, you'll be able to pick out any T-shirt you want from the True Crime Island range. Next up is Alison Lee on the $5 level. You'll be out, you'll get your stickers in a couple of weeks. Now, thanks to Ken Arnold, Hills. Now, that's all it says is Hills. I don't know if it's Mr. Hills, Old as the Hills. Anyway, Hills. Lauren King and Dina Seigert. I think I got your name right there. Also, thank you very much to Jess Cole for your generous PayPal donation. Now, don't forget, if you expect something in the post from me, like stickers or whatever, can you make sure that I know you've got them? I hate you to not get them and think I haven't sent them. Anyway, thanks to all the existing patrons, past patrons and existing ones your support is very much appreciated as this is a commercial free podcast which i know you all love and the show is totally listener supported if you want to become a patron of the island just go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island for as little as a dollar a month you can become a patron all funds go directly back to the island You can also do a one-off payment via PayPal and you can do that by typing paypal.me forward slash true crime island. Go and buy me a beer. If you want stickers, koozies, pins or key rings, you need to email me directly for that. Cambo at true crime island. It's all priced up according to where you live. Also, all other merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage and even beach towels. Go via the shop at truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Now, if that's all confusing, just go to the website, truecrimeisland.com. There's uh, links to everything there, social media, shops, all that sort of stuff. Again, you do not have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review, and share the love. The more people who know about the show, the better. If people don't know what a podcast is, then show them the way. 
join the Facebook group. Just search for True Crime Island and join in the chat. Don't forget to check out the Twitter and Instagram. The island handle is at True Crime Island. You can join in the chat and there are so many other podcasts on there. You'll find someone to talk to and something to listen to. Hi to all the followers out there. Now, promo tonight is for Jack at Darknet Diaries. I've just started listening to that. It's quite fascinating. It's well worth hooking up to. So his promo's at the end. And that's about it for tonight. And lots of love to Maggie James. So this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, boom fuckalunga. Don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. modern-day criminal. Cybercrime is the crime of our generation. My name is Jack, and I'm glued to a good cybercrime story. Just listen to some of these guys. I accidentally robbed the wrong bank the last time I was in Beirut. I was approached by a secret group of hackers. The first time you steal a billion dollars, it's a bit of a rush. After you've kind of done this so many times, it's almost expected. Want to hear the rest of their stories? Listen to the podcast Darknet Diaries, where you'll hear amazing stories from hackers and cyber defenders. So go find Darknet Diaries in your podcast player and go listen to it.